0: 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 11. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sac- sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in, in Scripture it says... See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people belong to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy.
1: Keep your Bibles open there to to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we're going to look through that today. Um, How good it is to be back in person. I'm encouraged. It's so encouraging to see all your faces. Um, It was so good to have people sing to us, and I can't wait till we can sing together as well. So hopefully we're looking forward to that in December, where we'll be able to lift our voices together as well. We're continuing our sermon series in the book of 1 Peter, uh, strangers living in strange times, that we have a living hope. Let's ask God to help us now um, as we come to this passage. Let's pray. Father God, you have been so good to us. We want to praise you. We want to praise you, the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in your great mercy, you have given us a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. Father, may that living hope be at the forefront of our mind. May it captivate it, captivate us. May it be there. May we know who we are so that we don't build ourselves upon the wrong foundation and we pray this in jesus name amen i am i am dot 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 now as i say that statement or that sentence i am how do you fill the rest of the sentence in what would you say i am a tradie, I am a mom. I am a dad, I'm a granddad, I'm a lawyer, I'm a banker, I'm a teenager. How would you fill that in? I am dot, dot, dot. You know, as we have small chat with one another, as we get to know each other, we often ask defining questions. You know, that question of, what do you do, James? And you tell people what you do. I am is a, an identity Statement of who you are. I am a mum, I am a dad, I'm, you know, I've got heaps of kids, I've got this, I am. And, and in that identity question, it's a, it's, a, it's a statement that we often define ourselves by. You know, I am a lawyer, it's the foundation on which you define your life, it's the foundation on which you build. If you're a teenager and you're doing the HSC, I'm a HSC student, that's in a way what you're defining who you are, Is it's a foundation upon which you build. I am, it's an identity, it's, it defines you. But sometimes, it, it, maybe you've you've defined yourself as I am married I am a great mum or I'm a great husband that your marriage is what defines you and that's and then what happens down the track is all of a sudden your spouse walks out on you 15 years with no reason being told and yet our foundation was built on that marriage and now what do I do with life or as a teenager you're a parent and your child's seen the HSC, and for 12 years you've got them a great education, and of all years they find themselves in a pandemic world, and you think, how on earth are they going to complete their HSC? We can be building our foundations on those things, maybe. I am. But maybe you don't go, I am a grandparent, or I am a lawyer, or I'm a banker, or I'm a builder. But maybe right now you feel overwhelmed and afflicted by the question that's going around in your head, am I enough? Maybe you've been thinking, am I good enough? Have I been good enough for my father? Am I good enough looking? Am As a 17-year-old young woman, what do you think to yourself, am I good enough for blokes to want to ask me out? Maybe you're here in this room going, am I good enough? See, we, we, we have different questions. We have different things that define us and foundations on which we build our life upon. But where do I turn? Maybe for you, you've... You've worked your whole life. For 30 years, you have worked tirelessly. You've got up early and you've been able to get out of bed early and go to work every day. But 30 years down the track, you get hit with depression and you can't even get out of bed. And and now, rather than being defined as a a worker, you're defined with someone who has depression. We build upon identity. But today, we're going to see a far bigger and better story that we've been brought into see as real as it is that we go through suffering and trials as real as it is that you are a builder or as real as is you're someone that's got depression or as real as you might feel in your mind I am not good enough there is a far bigger story that each one of us who are in Jesus have been brought into And that's what one Peter wants to do. He's writing to people who are marginalised, Christians who no longer maybe have their job, Christians who possibly have been moved from a city to another city and they they don't know the language. They they, they know that they stand out. They know that they're strangers. See, Peter's writing to churches in probably modern-day Turkey. They're there. They're displaced. He calls them exiles. He calls them foreigners. And they're feeling it. But Peter writes, because we forget who we are, we can let the wrong things define our identity. And so as we seek to come out of lockdown, as we come out of lockdown, as we live as strangers in a strange world, what are we to remember? We're going to remember three things today. We're to remember three things as we come out. See, last week we saw that knowing the end of the story shapes how you act today. Knowing the end of the story shapes how you act today. And last week we saw that it's to, be, to, to, to have action, it's to be deliberate in, in, in learning about who God is. It's to be holy, which means to be set apart. And we're to crave the holiness of God. And as we do that, guess what's going to happen? Our life's going to change. We're gonna sort of stand out. We're gonna be different to those around us. And as we feel that pressure, guess what pressure we're gonna have? We're gonna have the pressure of wanting to go back and define ourselves by different foundations. As we come out of lockdown, what are we to remember? Well, there's three things. Jesus is the living stone. Jesus' story is our story and Jesus is the one we proclaim. But firstly, we're going to see that Jesus is the living stone. Jesus' identity is our identity. And why do we need to remember this? Because we will receive pushback as followers of Jesus. As we face rejection, as you face that, we will be overwhelmed by the voices that we listen to that will try and tell us how to define our actions. See, if you're a builder, that's the foundation. That will define how you act. But there's two foundations. There's a living one and there's a dead one. So it's, there's two lots of rocks. There's all those other things like I'm a, I, I'm a dad, I'm a mum, I'm a school teacher, I'm a teenager. They're things that we can build our foundation on. They're rocks or there's another rock. There's another foundation. So we can build on the rock of a strong family. We can build on the rock of a good education. We can build on the rock of being a great teenager who looks wonderful or has great photos on Instagram. We can build on that. Or there's the living rock. Did you notice that in verse 4? As you come to Jesus, the living stone. That's pretty amazing because I don't <clears throat> when I look at stones, they're dead. right? They, they don't have like a hammer out, I'll smash them. They're hard. They're rock, but they're dead, but he says, when you come to Jesus, he's alive. He's an alive, it's a living. Wow. So all those other rocks and foundations are dead. But what's going on? Well, keep, keep reading. As you come to Jesus, the living stone. Now, this stone's alive, and yet people reject it. It's rejected by humans, but look how precious it is to God. It's cho- he's chosen. And precious to God. As the world rejects Jesus, however, Jesus is precious and chosen by God. Jump down to verse six. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. What's going on here with this idea of stones and cornerstone? Well, it's foundation. I I love watching um, the block. I like, I, watch, I like building shows, I like selling houses Australia, but my favourite show I love to watch is Grand Designs. It's on ABC. I don't know if you've watched it, but Grand Designs. I, just, I love the 50 minutes of just watching how people envisage this building and how it comes to life, and at the end of the show, there is this grand, spectacular, beautiful building. But to get to that building, oh, it, it, there's this exciting moment in the show now to get to that building you've got the moments where the architects have designed the building, here is the plan, it's all laid out but there's this amazing moment when they pour the first foundation, they dig a hole, they put Rio in and they pour that concrete, the first part of the foundation and it's this amazing moment because it's from that foundation the rest of this grand design will come into being. See in, in the ancient world stonemasons who built buildings, would they'd come to a a pile of stones to build a building and they would go through every stone trying to find the perfect stone. See, the idea in the ancient world was they'd find a stone that was perfect and just right with the right angles and the right design to be the first stone that they would lay as a foundation for that building. And it was from that point that that building would grow. They would find that perfect stone. And here Jesus is that cornerstone But it's more than that see this cornerstone is rejected and despised see there's so much Old Testament imagery here see there was a plan before Jesus came there was always plan A and see Israel Israel found themselves exiled these are God's people in the Old Testament they found themselves away from God's temple they found themselves in Babylon away from God and in Isaiah It says in Isaiah 28 verse 16 it talks about a cornerstone. Now the Jews and the Israelites knew that one day a King David, another David would come who would be that cornerstone. And who is it? It's Jesus and Jesus turns up and what do the Jews do? They reject him, they despise him. They're waiting for the cornerstone and he turns up right in front of them but they reject him. Even though the world rejects Jesus, he is precious and chosen by God and there is implications here for that. Because see, Jesus says in John chapter 2, as he clears the temple out, he says, this building will be destroyed and in three days it will be rebuilt. So what Jesus is saying, he says, I'm the cornerstone and there's going to be a new temple but it's not going to be a temple made of physical stone. There's implications. If we're united to Christ, we are that. We are are like living stones. Did you see that? In verse 5, you also are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to be offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, as we go out this week, we're going to sin. Our sacrifices and our, our lives as worship to God are going to be flawed. But how good it is that Jesus makes them perfect. He makes them perfect. So it's not a temple of stone, but we are the living temple united in Christ. See, it's interesting this, this auditorium isn't special, it's not special. We are special. Now, I've already done this today, right? I did it when we were practising. Guess what most of us probably did the day as we got out of bed? We said to our family, or who that's with us, we're going to church. No, we're not going to church. We are the church. I easily just said, oh, we're off to church. But actually, no, 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 the reason we've got to be careful is because we make the building special. No, 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 we are special it's sometimes the reason why I'm very careful with my language around this building I don't say I'll meet you at church I'll say I'll meet you at the church office now it may seem trivial but we don't want to confuse ourselves with thinking that this is the temple of the Old Testament but actually no 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 we are the temple see there's an implication amazing who we are right God dwells with us. He's tabernacled amongst us. See, so the world doesn't revolve around us, it revolves around Jesus. It doesn't revolve around kids, it doesn't revolve around a house, it doesn't revolve around a job. It's around Jesus the living stone. Now notice Peter doesn't say holy person singular or you know you, that you're a holy priesthood singular, it's plural. One of the biggest mistakes we make in a Western culture is that we make it individualistic. One of the biggest mistakes we make is that we make our Christianity, our faith, a private pursuit. So the freelance Christian who thinks I love Jesus and I follow Jesus but I don't, I'm too busy to be involved with the community of God's people or I'm an autonomous being and therefore you don't need me and I separate myself from the community of God's people. Well, guess what you're doing is you separate yourself from that. You're distancing yourself from Christ. See, we are a community. It's As we get who we are, it is... It is, It's. It's. we should not think that it's okay that, you know, once in a month or once in six weeks we'll sort of just try and we'll hang out with God's people. It's not individualistic. Look what you've been brought into. You're a part of something that is so far greater than your individual world. You've been brought into something so far much bigger than yourself and your little story. You've been brought into God's story, his plan of salvation. Look at the story you've been brought into and to the people you've been brought into with. It's tempting, isn't it, to go home in the car after a church service and you might lean over to your kids or to a spouse or as you get home you talk to a friend and you go, oh, today was a bit long. Or today the coffee was a bit shabby. I didn't really get what I wanted out of it. We're a part of a far greater story, so we've missed the story that we're a part of when we think like that. because we let things define us we let our marriage define who we are we let our job define who we are and then as we get marginalized as those things get stripped from us and as we build upon that rock we don't know where to turn so there's two foundations isn't it there's there's the living stone Jesus or there's dead stones But how gracious is this passage, this this passage is filled with grace, upon grace, upon grace because as you go home today you may not feel it, you may go home and go I'm not really feeling it today but remember who you are. As you go out this week and you know what, we're going to sin, we're going to stuff up, we're going to do wrong things. How good it is that those things don't define us, it's who are we, we're... We're redeemed, rescued people. That's who we are. See, it's not I am, it's we are. We are. Remember who you are. In those moments this week, you know, as we will, there'll be moments where we allow our kids to define who we are. In those moments this week, as we allow our job to define who we are, how good it is that they actually don't. How good it is that we have a solid rock how good it is that we are rescued and redeemed and so as we come out of lockdown what are we to remember as we live as strangers in strange times we have to remember that Jesus is the living stone but also we need to be reminded that Jesus's story is our story Jesus's story is our story because Jesus is our cornerstone the one who has made us his because we are that he will never put us to shame we will never be put to shame did you notice that in verse 7 Just go back a little bit though into verse 6. And the one who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. And you get to verse 7. Now, literally what it says is, therefore, so the honour is for you who believe. So the honour is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall and they stumble because they disobey the gospel which is also what they were destined for. As you feel the pressure to conform, as you feel the pressure for your self-building projects, as you feel the pressure to chase your own personal dreams that can bring us honour now, You're part of something far greater, that you'll never be put to shame. See, all those other things will one day put us to shame. But you're a part of something so far greater, so far bigger, that you will be honoured. Because, see, Jesus is divisive. Jesus is offensive. See, the gospel both divides people and it draws people. The gospel both offends people, but it also brings great delight and joy. If you think everyone is going to love Jesus, you need to think again. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Narnia series, The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. If you haven't read it, you should read it. But he writes this, C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, there's only two categories of people. Those who become insanely happy in Jesus and those who find Jesus to be the worst enemy. Following Jesus is costly. Maybe you became a Christian at university. Maybe you became a Christian as a teenager. Maybe you became a Christian in your late adulthood and your family have disowned you because you follow Jesus. They feel ashamed that you're now a follower of Jesus. Or maybe this week or in the last couple of months, as you've been doing your job, you've decided to be ethical and make decisions that others do not like. And so they've marginalised you and and you feel ashamed. So you may not get honour in this world. You know, we may not, when you die, you may not get your face on the seven nightly news. But remember your, remember who you are. Remember, Jesus' story is our story. We shared Jesus' path on earth. We're going to share his path. And what was Jesus' path? He was despised, rejected, mocked people stumbled over him and he was crucified on a cross and he was buried. And as we follow Jesus, we may be rejected, we may be despised, we may be hurt. We share it, don't we? You're marginalised in your job because you're a Christian or as a teenage boy you've decided what you're going to wear and the things aren't going to shape who you are and so your friends at school sort of push you to the side and now you won't become school captain but when Jesus returns there's honour because why because Jesus' story is our story Jesus was buried and on the third day he was raised from the grave And he was ascended to heaven and he was exalted and put into a place of honour. And therefore our story becomes his story. And guess what's going to happen to us? We will be raised and we will be honoured. And why might we be dishonoured and shamed in this world? Because Jesus is a stumbling block. Jesus is a stone that causes people to stumble. When we were at Bible college, um, we were living on campus and we lived in one of the houses and we had a couple of kids at that stage. And in this house, between one room and the next, there was this lip. It was about 25 mil, about 30 mil. There's this this, this, this little lip that went from each room. And guess what I did a couple of times? I stubbed my toe and I tripped and stumbled over. But then I also saw it and guess what happened? It didn't happen again. But guess what happened for our two-year-old? He constantly... You know, every time he'd walk through that door, bang, bang, he just keeps stumbling. And you go, like, hey, mate, look at that thing. And he still stumbled. And here, there's a picture here of stumbling. People stumble over Jesus, they don't see him for who he is. We can be the kindest, we can be the most endearing people, we can be the most gracious, we can be the most winsome people who put on maybe a great event or a great church service, but people are still going to stumble over Jesus. And they're going to find Jesus offensive. And therefore because people reject Jesus they're going to reject you and why do people reject there's, there's many reasons why people reject Jesus I'm a pretty good person why do I need him I don't need forgiveness I don't picture God as being a judge he's all loving and compassion so it'll be fine I'm friends with God and on the last day I'll, I'll negotiate my way out of it others will go yes Jesus is a great teacher he was great with wisdom but yeah he's not the Son of God Others will go, you know what, it's too costly because because I want to be sovereign over my own body. I'm not going to come under his rule. I don't want him to be king of my life. But Jesus, when he returns, when Jesus returns, he's going to affect every single individual in this room. Each one of you will be affected when Jesus returns. It'll either be positive or negative. So if you're united with the stone, you'll be honored, and if you're not united to the living stone, guess what? <laughs> you'll be crushed. See, Jesus, he, he talks to these religious leaders. He talks to these, these people who thought they were good, people who'd memorized Scripture. They were the, the, the rich, the wonderful, the wonderful people in society. and Jesus is talking to them. These are people who are waiting for a messiah, and yet they kept tripping over Jesus. They didn't want to listen to Jesus and Jesus in Matthew chapter 21 he basically says to them the reality is yes you are tripping over me now. You're stumbling over who I am now but let me warn you one day I'm going to destroy you and you will be shamed. And if you're here today and you haven't turned to Jesus I plead with you to turn today. If you haven't, I plead with you today before it's too late. Because see, when Jesus returns, you can't negotiate. There is grace and arms open now for you. Turn to him today. Put your trust in Jesus, for when you believe in Jesus, you will not be put to shame. But not only that, look at the family you get to hang out with. People are going to trip over Jesus now but he's coming back. See, Jesus' story is our story. I, um, I found this, 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 this passage from Charles Spurgeon. Right, Charles Spurgeon was a preacher in the 19th century and he says this. He said this in 1856. He said, He who would place himself in front of a fast-moving railway car will be crushed and would be just as foolish... As you who are opposing the gospel if the gospel is true remember that truth is mighty and must prevail who are you to attempt to stand against it you will be crushed but let me tell you when the railway car runs over you the wheel will not be raised even an inch by your size for what are you a tiny gnat a creeping worm which that wheel will crush to less than nothing and not leave you even a name as having ever been an opponent of the gospel. Let all the infidels in the world know assuredly that the gospel will win its way. Whatever they may do, poor creatures, their efforts to oppose the gospel are not even worthy of our notice. And we need not fear that they can stop the truth. They are like a gnat who thinks he can quench the sun... Go, tiny insect, and do it if you can. You'll only burn your wings and die. Likewise, there may be a fly who thinks it could drink the ocean dry. Drink the ocean dry if you can. More likely, you will sink in it and it will drink you. See, what he's saying is the gospel has power. And it's not going to stop. Jesus' story is our story. And as we come out of lockdown, what are we to remember as we live as strangers in strange times? Well, we also have to remember that Jesus is the one we proclaim. Jesus is the one whom we proclaim. We live in a world of advertising. We live in a world that says you do not have enough, you could have this. We live in a world that wants to define who. You are. But Jesus is the one we proclaim. Have a look there at verse 9. In contrast to those who stumble, but you are. That's plural, that's a plural you. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is language that's intimate. It's intimate language. It's relationship language. It's the people of God. We're in together with this. We are together And the basis of all of this is what God has done through Jesus. The basis of why we are chosen, the basis of the royal priesthood, the reason we are a holy nation, it's God. We have done nothing for it. It is all about Jesus. And as we think about chosen people, as we think about royal priesthood, it's maybe hard for us to picture, but it's language of the Old Testament. It's imagery that was talked about the people of God. See, God, he reached down and he rescued his people out of Egypt. He rescued them he reached in his hand and he rescued these people and in the wilderness he gave them these names. But then also in Isaiah also in the book of Isaiah he gives the name chosen to them. He writes to people who are in the wilderness, they're not living in the promised land. They're living as exiles, they're living as strangers and in Isaiah chapter 43 he he reminds these people who are going through suffering who feel like they're strangers, he says remember you're chosen. Remember your identity. See, that's what it means to be chosen people. It's, 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 look who you are, you're mine. But not only are you a chosen people, but you're this royal priesthood. Now, priesthood, priests, their role was to represent God to the people and their role was to represent people to God. Now, in, the, in Israel, they were meant to be priests who represented, you know, Israel were meant to be a light to the nations to display God. But here it's He's calling us. See, this language is given to Israel, but now it's he, he's laying it on us. You're a royal priesthood. Right? It's not just any priesthood, it's royal. Right? It's royal status. Now, I, I easily bl- link over that, but it's it's like royal status. Now, you know, we've got, I think it's it's Prince William, isn't it? It's Prince William and Kate. They're royal, aren't they, right? They dress well, Kate's very royal, Prince William, he's very royal, like they've, you know, they've got royal status. It's like, wow, pretty cool. Now, now, you may not be a Prince William fan, but you might be a Prince Harry fan, right? And Meghan Markle, you might be on their side and you go, man, they've got royal status. You know, Like, look at the way Harry dresses, he's got style. If only I could be like Megan and and just be so suave and speak out. You You know, you might be the Prince, you know, Prince Harry and Prince Megan. And then, you know, I don't know what camp you're on, but hey, they're royal. But that's nothing. We have royal status. We have royal status of the king of the universe. The God who created the heavens has said, you're mine. We have royal status. Look who we are. If you look to the the, the Prince of England, they have nothing compared to what we have. We are royalty. We are royalty. But we're also a holy nation. We're set apart. But we're also God's special possession. We're special to him. He owns us. Do you notice that God doesn't define you by your job? He doesn't define you by your family. He doesn't define you by your education, your kids, your looks. How does he find you? You are. You are chosen. You are royal. You are special. See, once you were in the darkness, but now you're in the light. Once you were alone, but now you're in the family. Once you were stumbling, but now you've received mercy. Look who you are. Your identity is bound to Christ. Maybe you're here and you're 60 and you're on the pension and life has just turned sour for you. It's gone south. Everything's gone wrong in the world for you. And God says to you, he says, you're mine. You've been married for 20 years and now it's, it's ruined. God says you're mine. You know, you may not complete the HSC, but God says you're mine. You may be a single mother and God says you're mine. You're mine, you're mine. It's like you are mine. The God of the universe says you are mine. And so therefore, what are we to do? We're to declare the praises of God, or we declare the excellencies of God. Now that excellencies and that praises there, it's actually the language. What are we praising about? It's we're praising about the gospel. It's redemption. This is language. The context sets it for us. We praise God because of Jesus and what he's done to make us his. So we're as a church, we're on mission. We are people who are on mission to declare and to tell people about Jesus. There's a reality of heaven and hell. This passage points to it. There's a reality of heaven and hell. We have friends at the office. We have neighbours and friends at school. We have people we care for. And as they look to their kids for their foundation to define them, or as they look to these dead rocks, their jobs and their careers, they have no idea that there's a living stone, Jesus. See, we're meant to declare the praises of God. The church does not exist to fit your plans and your aspirations. The church exists to proclaim Christ. And his priority isn't proclaiming your name, but it's to have his name proclaimed and have his fame cover the whole universe. Our job is to proclaim the glory and the wonder of Jesus. Our purpose is to declare the character of God. See, as we meet together, we don't look that impressive. We may not look that good. To the world outside, we may not have everything. To the world outside, they may think shameful of us. Why would you do what you do? But we proclaim Christ. Why? Because the gospel brings life. Jesus takes dead people and he makes them alive. He takes people who are orphans and he makes them sons and daughters. He takes those who are living in darkness and he brings them into the light. He awakens the dead soul. And so we proclaim Christ, we preach Christ. We wanna make sure we sing about it. We wanna make sure our words are proclaiming him and his gospel. What do we do as we live in this world? You know, there's there's, there's, there's the dead rocks in which we can allow to define us or we can remember who we are. See, it's not I am, it's we are. That's who we are. We are chosen, we are special, we are royal. That is who we are. And so as we come out of lockdown, what are we to remember, my friends? Let's remember that Jesus' identity is our identity, that Jesus' story is our story, but Jesus is the one that we're going to lift high. We want to lift high the name of Jesus, the cornerstone Jim Elliot was a man who delighted in Jesus. He wanted to tell the world about Jesus. And so he went to the Ecuadorian Indians and he was killed. But he wrote this. He wrote this about his life. It's actually a prayer, I think. He says this. He says, Father, make me a crisis man. Make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. He's saying, let me, let me not be a mile post or a kilometre post on the road. Don't let me be a, a kilometre post on a single road, but make me a fork. That men and women must turn one way or the other on facing Christ in me. May people, as they walk through that door, and as people encounter us, may they encounter Jesus. May, that, may we be that fork that they must turn one way or another. Let's make sure we proclaim Jesus. Let's remember who we are because the more we delve into who we are, the more it shapes how we delight in him. Let's pray. Father, we have voices everywhere. We have advertising. We have billboards. We have maybe even family members. We have friends who are trying to define who we are, who are telling us that we don't have enough or that we are not good enough. Father, Peter, he's reminded us today of who we are. Father, let us remind ourselves of who you see us as and the reason you see us the way you see us is because of your son Jesus who has rescued us and redeemed us. Father I pray for those who are stumbling in this room today, Lord I pray that they will turn and see the beauty and the wonder of Christ but Father I pray for us as a church Lord may we never get tired of making heaps of Jesus May we never get tired of proclaiming him. May our hearts just delight in the gospel that's filled with grace. And so this is who we are, Father. Thank you that we are chosen and royal, set apart and special. So, Father, help us to be honoured of that this week as we go out and live our life in worship of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.